class a little bit different this year. Not a whole lot different, but just a little bit different. So is that pretty good levels? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. So everybody talk towards the middle of the floor. Um, <laughs> because we're in here tonight, we're just going to do it ambiently. So, um, well, let's, let's pray. Let's start. One, we've got everything started to be recorded. Father, we do thank you so much for another year. We thank you for a wonderful summer we had off. And thank you very much for, for uh, Kelly taking uh, the classes through the summer and, and uh, offering those. That was, that was wonderful. Lord, bless him for all the time and effort he put into that. Lord, I thank you that we are starting out with First and Second Kings. And Father, I pray that you will open the eyes of our understanding and help us to see the lessons that you want us to see. Help us to understand your purpose and plan for us as your people. Help us to know what it is that that causes you to do the things that you do. That what what is wisdom and what isn't wisdom. What is uh, uh, the right way to do things and what isn't the right way? Father, I thank you that your word will reveal to us this year those, those answers to those questions. Thank you, Father, for that you'll bless this. We commit it unto you, Lord, and we ask that you bless the work of our hands this year. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to... We're going to do... Uh, first and, or first Kings chapters one through three tonight, but I want to I want to kind of do it in the layout that I want us to do through the year, because um, what I want you to do is for next week I want you to have already read First Kings four through six. As I was putting tonight together, I was thinking about how I study the Bible. How how it, how I go through the Bible and, and what I, what how I get things out of it is probably the best way I can say it. And the the way that I get things out of the Bible is I ask questions. I don't take everything. I mean, I take it for face value. Let me I, let me say that I believe it's the Word of God. I believe it's infallible. I believe it is it is uh, God inspired. I believe it's all of those things. But I ask questions. And, and you'll see, as we go through tonight, you'll see some of the questions that I, that I asked myself, you know, or that I asked the Holy Spirit, that I asked God to reveal. Lord, why did he do it this way? Why did she say that? What, would I have done the same thing in the same situation? And, and that's how I learned, because the Bible, to me, is supposed to be taken literally. It's supposed to be taken and applied to our life. It's supposed to be usable. It's not just some big theological story. It's not just some, you know, holy written word. You know, it can become that, and then it becomes untouchable. It becomes unusable. And I read a book uh, years ago. I actually met the author, and I'll try to remember this. It's called Uncommon Sense. And what his the, the premise of his book was is that the Bible is practical. It's a practical living document that is trying to teach us something about our everyday life. Not just about these big theological ideas out there, but how can I live my life today? How can I make the decisions that I have to make today? As a boss, can I, what can I learn from the Bible? 
that can help me be a better leader? What can I learn from the Bible that helps me to be a better father? What can I learn from the Bible that helps me be a better husband? All of these things, how it applies to me. So how it's going to apply to you is, is, is going to come from the questions you ask. Why did they say this? Why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? So on and so forth. Kind of vague right now, but you kind of you get my you get the gist of where I'm headed with this. And I want to go through it tonight, and I'll show you at different places where I ask the questions. What I want you to do is over the next week, read the three chapters. You literally can read the three chapters every day. They're not that long. It's not like you're reading these huge, long, you know, it probably will take you 10 minutes to read each chapter. And at each chapter, write down the questions that you have. The ones that jump out at you, why did this happen? Why did he do this? And we'll, we'll get into it here. Get my idea? This week, come with a piece of paper that has questions on it. <coughs> chapter 1, well, you, in next week will be chapter 4, verse 15. My question is, duh. And write your questions. Because then what we'll do is we'll get together and we'll start going through the chapter. And when we get to a chapter where you have a question, go, my question was this. Now, you're also, I believe, going to have an answer, or at least a partial answer, but, but your question may spur something in someone else, or um, you'll be able to teach us. Here's what God showed me. I asked this question. <laughs> Why do they continue to scream? <laughs> I, I, it's probably going to get picked up on the... Uh, on the uh, we're holding this, uh, this class at uh, Six Flags over uh, Stillwater, <laughs> and that's the... Uh, that's the uh, roller coaster going by each time. Um, your questions will teach us stuff. It'll, you'll, it'll go, hey, I never thought of that question. I never thought of that angle of this. And so, um, yes, I'll teach, but mostly I want us to learn by the questions that we ask. I want us to start asking good questions. And that's the, that is one of the goals that I have. Uh, Terry, did you, okay, so we had the, these uh, curriculum or the syllabus yeah, or whatever. All right, one, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. <laughs> Should we close that door? No. Uh, we will. I want to, I only made ten of these. So, the difficult to change the heat here. Is it warm? Uh, there is no individual room. Temperature is the window. If we open the window, is it warmer outside than it is inside? Highway noise. Oh, then we got the highway noise. Yeah, that's a, it's not an individual. Deal with it. Yeah. Okay. Deal with it. Um, so if you can share one, great. If you make two more copies, we're good. That's great. I'll do that. <coughs> All right. We have enough. We Six of these. Yeah, we don't even. Okay. Now we have extras. Go ahead and turn with me to First Kings. First Kings chapter one. <laughs> Last fall we did First uh, Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Samuel was was a historical account of who. Samuel. Samuel. Easy answer. From his uh, birth, actually before his birth, really his, 
his, uh, you know, God had a purpose for Samuel before he was even conceived. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it, when, you, when you see a story like that, you realize, wow, there's a lot more to this than, than the end uh, scene of a person's life. You know, them, them doing the great thing that they're going to do with their life, whether, you know, Nobel Peace Prize or, you know, anywhere between that and whatever they do with their life. God has a plan for our life before we're even conceived, before we're even thought of. And that's, uh, that's humbling, but it's also amazing. It's wonderful. And so for the story is about Samuel. It's about him as a child, him growing up as a priest, becoming the, the high priest, becoming the, the priest of God, the prophet of God in the day. <clears throat> and then also the rise and fall of the house of Saul. First and Second Samuel is about First Samuel is about the, the rise and fall of the house of Saul. <clears throat> Excuse me, kingship. His his uh, good points. He had lots of good points, but he also failed. And he was he, he went from being a humble servant of God because he, he did you know very humble. He was he was shy. He was all, you know all the things that a king shouldn't be. Um, he was, but that's why God picked him. God doesn't pick the, the most likely candidate to do anything. He usually picks the least likely candidate to do anything. And so if you, I love when I hear somebody say, I don't think I'm ready to do this. Or why would God pick me to do this? Or I don't, I don't get it. I don't have any, any of the qualities that make it, you know, make it possible for me to be the one that God will use. Exactly then you're probably the exact right person for God to use. Because you won't come in and go, well, I got this one in spades. I got it all figured out. But what happened was Saul went from that, from the humble beginning, to prideful. And he became the king. You know, he, that, that, that what, you know, uh, uh, what Samuel, what God told Samuel, Samuel told the people is, if you really want a king, here's what a king is going to do to you. And Saul did it. He oppressed them. He he taxed them. He he uh, took their children as as uh, soldiers. That you know, so on and so forth. All the things that a, that a king with that authority can, has, he did it. Saul became uh, prideful. He became uh, is it insolent when he you know he does does things rashly without uh, what is it when the, maybe I'm when they fought the the Amalekites. Yep, and he kept the kept the bounty. Kept, he kept what God told to destroy, and then the second thing that pushed God over the edge was he had the he did the sacrifice. He didn't wait for Samuel to uh, to make the sacrifice. He did it. Kings were not supposed to make the sacrifice. Priests were, uh, prophets were, and so uh, Samuel said, "If you had waited, if you had waited another minute, your kingdom would have been established forever." But because of this your kingdom will end, and another will take your place. And then we have the rise of, of David, and we have that whole story of David coming on the scene, David being anointed, the, the, the hand of God upon David, um, Saul seeing the hand of God upon David, and, and then um, becoming jealous, chasing David all those years, trying to kill him, um, you know, all those stories. Finally, the death of, of Saul, the death of Jonathan, the end of the house of Saul, and David becoming king, and that starting out. 
and all the tribulations, trials and tribulations he had in there, the significant ones being uh, when Absalom tried to usurp the kingdom. Terry, if you want to pull the door shut there. We've got everybody. It's going to come. It's going to so the Absalom trying to usurp the, uh, the kingdom and uh, um, chasing David and his family out. There was a number of, of things that happened during that period of time that are actually going to come up here now in 1 Kings. Um, and, and so you have to remember the, the, the context of those things. What happened during that time, um, predominantly Shimei, um, the, the man who uh, cursed David, as he was leaving Jerusalem, and when he came back, David pardoned him, basically. He, he forgave him and um, let him live. And then, but also Absalom dies. But in all of that, uh, David promised, well, the other story is Bathsheba. The other story is, is the fall of David and when, uh, when he um, got Bathsheba pregnant, had a child, the child dies, but she but she has a second child, and that child is Solomon, and he, and he is the the main figure of First Kings, at least the beginning of First Kings, and so First Kings, First and Second Kings are a historical record of events of the kings of Israel and Judah. Um, we're not going to start first in First Kings. Go quickly with me before we go any further to Esther, chapter six. Esther chapter six. This was a a regular thing for a a, a reigning king to have a scribe who just basically sat and wrote down what happened during the day. Right, wrote down events, wrote down details, told stories, so on and so forth so that they would have a historical record of what took place, what took place in that, during that uh, uh, reign. Esther chapter 6, uh, talking about the king Xerxes, uh, says, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of, of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana. Now, I, I, I like that, Big Thana. You know, that's, uh, I have no idea if that's how you actually say it, but as opposed to Little Thana. And Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So it was a common thing for the kings to have a diary written by somebody else. So... It's basically what it was. That is what First Kings is. Is it is? It's written um, fr from a second-hand view, and <laughs> you know those guys are having way more fun than we are. So I don't know. I have to look at getting some toys in here. Yeah, that's the one that we're surrounded by in the night. Um, written by someone. Anybody know who First Kings is written by? Does anybody have a Bible that says in the notes who the First Kings is written by? Is it Jeremiah? Jeremiah? Could be. That's what I, it's one of the things I tried to say, Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Could be. Yeah, I just it I don't know that I've ever known. I can I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. 
years you're not going to do it. God. God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only in a God's book is. So if it doesn't say anywhere, okay. see, like I say, I've never, I don't really know who wrote it. So I, I mean, I probably should be one of those things that I know, but. Your question. It it might be you know the it might be just a guy who was the scribe at the yeah. time and that was what was written down. So, First Kings, chapter one. Adonijah sets himself up as king. Uh, verse one. When David was very old, he could not sleep, could not keep warm, even when put, when they put covers over him. So his attendants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout, the, throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready and 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, what do you be, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So Absalom was the oldest. That's why he thought he could be king. Uh, Adonijah. Doesn't yes. say who wrote it in my commentary. Doesn't say. I don't know that I've ever seen it, so that's why I'm. You know, I don't know who wrote who wrote first king. So Adonijah, being the second born, thought I should be king. Now the king's not viable. He's not actually able to rule. Somebody should be king. In, in the absence of, of, uh, of power, someone's going to take charge. Back then, the logical, uh, um, accepted practice was the oldest son rules. That's, one, that's the birthright. It's part of the, the part of the natural process. So it is not unrealistic for him to... Uh, just decide, I'm going to be king. I will be king. So he got chariots and horses and ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? I, th I think that's more than just in this incident. I think that's a, as, that was a, I think it was David's mode of operation as a father. That's why he had the problem with Absalom. He never asked Absalom, you know, what are you doing? Why are you living the way you're living? Why are you acting that way? He never, David, you know, as, 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 as much of a warrior as David was, he wasn't much of a confronted father. He, he wasn't much for, uh, you know, encroaching on his son's space and pushing their button. Interesting enough, we're going to read... Uh, a little further down, actually in chapter 2, about another father who the Bible says did the exact same thing. Eli. says that Eli never asked his sons, never never confronted his sons on their behavior. He, you know, and I, I reread the story of Eli again, just, you know, that part, especially the, the, uh, the prophecy, because it talks about the prophecy was fulfilled um, at the time of Solomon taking reign, um, 
it talks about the prophesy against Eli at Shiloh. So I reread that, and it said the same thing. And then as I read the story more, Eli did ask his sons, why do you live this way? Why do you make these decisions? Why? But he never used his authority to do something about it. So one of the questions I ask myself is, is God trying to tell us something here in these two stories, Eli, David? I mean, as great a man as David was, obviously, he was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. He had downfalls. He had, he had shortcomings. And one of the things that, that's pointed out in Scripture, and, and that's what I really like about Scripture, they don't pull any punches. They show you all the good parts and all the bad parts. All the all the shiny spots and all the blemishes. So, is God pointing out with these two stories that there is a place where, where parents need to get in their kids' face and raise them, confront them, speak to their situations, deal with the problems that are going on, that they, that they see coming up. Now, I, you know, Deb's going to laugh because... It's hard for me to confront my kids. Now she's gonna laugh because I do it all the time. I don't like to do it. I don't. I don't want to be always. And, I, and I'm always concerned. Am I being too combative? Because sometimes it has to be. You know, it, it comes out combative. You know, um, one of my favorite stories. You know, this that came out of this summer was Tally learned how to um, learn how to mow. For the first time. And the way I teach the kids how to mow is I mow all the dangerous spots and then leave a <coughs> square on the flattest possible square and then they just mow that square. And I did that for Ethan one whole summer. I, I mowed all the edges and around all the trees and the, the hillsides and we got a lot of hill in our yard. But there's one area in the back that's perfectly level. So um, I have them mow. So Ethan learned a couple of years ago and he's been mowing for... Now, Ethan is the one who mows all the other spots for Tally, and then he leaves a spot in the backyard, and then she does it. Well, Tally has a number of things. One is she doesn't like to work. She's a good worker. She actually is. She's a very good worker when she actually decides she's going to do it, but she doesn't want to. And so I'm out there one day, and, and, and the grass, you know, here's the, here's the funny thing is, is there always, there's always the excuse you know, well, the grass isn't long enough. I can't tell where I'm supposed to mow. I was like, deal with it. Look for the tracks. You know, I mean, I'm trying to work, give them all the hints as, as, as well as possible. <clears throat> and so I said, Tally, I said, what I want you to do is if you put your outside wheel on the last track that you see, then just follow it all the way around, and then you put that wheel on the you know on the next track that you see and go off you don't have to see how tall the grass is just put it on the tracks and I'm talking very nicely because I understand that girls have to hear it you know with a, with a little lilt in your voice otherwise they cry instantaneously so I'm talking like this and I'm telling and she looks at me she goes daddy don't treat me like a two-year-old I don't want to be treated like a two-year-old and I said, then mow the stinking lawn, get your butt going, get around here about 40, then do it right. She goes, why are you yelling at me? I said, now I'm treating you like a 21-year-old. <laughs> she goes, I don't want to be treated like a 21-year-old. I said, okay. So, 
Sometimes you got to get in their face. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because she did, you know, oh. I won't treat you like a 20, like a two-year-old. I'll treat you like a 21. She didn't like that either. So, so I treat her like a 20. Can't make him happy. You can't make him happy. You just can't. That's right. But there is a place for, for parents being parents. And it's okay for a parent to be a parent. And I think we have to. It's not fun. It's not what... It's not real. I, 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 I signed up for perfect kids who never have to be disciplined. <laughs> you got the wrong kids then. Apparently, I got the wrong kids. <laughs> Swish Jeffrey. What has to say? So, these guys didn't do that. They're leaders. They're, they're, they're the leaders of Israel. And we wonder why Israel kept doing the things that they kept doing. You know, as well as, as and, and Eli is even told, didn't you see what I did in, in, in Egypt? Didn't you hear about what I did? And didn't you hear, see the amazing things that I did? Why wouldn't you train your children up to, to, to fear me and to, you know, to, to follow me the way they're supposed to? And so, David is also rebuked, or is, is rebuked here at the same time, because he didn't do it with, Absalom, he didn't do it with Adonijah. So, Adonijah makes himself king. Adonijah, uh, verse 7, Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruai, and with Abathar the priest, and he gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep and cattle and fatted calves at the stone of Zohaleth uh, near Enherogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the special guard of his brother or his special the special guard or his brother Solomon. So Adonijah was the eldest. By nature, he had the right of succession. He went through all the correct pomp and circumstance. This is what they did. This is, this is how they made themselves king, or how people were made kings. They went through all this pomp and circumstance. They brought everybody in. They, they did sacrifices. They had the, 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 uh, the, the, the um, procession, and they, you know, people yelled behind them, long live the king, so on and so forth. Except he didn't invite Solomon or his supporters, and verse ten bit makes it sound like he did it on purpose. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew it, and we're going to see later in just a, just a moment. We're going to see that he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew that it was wrong. Okay, verse eleven. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And our Lord David knows nothing about it. Now, now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say to him, My Lord the king, did you not swear to me, your servant? Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on the throne. Now, Bathsheba knew that. I believe Solomon knew that, so did everybody else. But Adonijah is usurping the throne. He's, he's going 
he's going behind David's back and doing this um, in front of the people. And the, to the people, it seemed natural. Yeah, of course, he's the next oldest, so on and so forth. Of course, he'll be king. Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, while you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself before the king. What is it you want? The king asked. She said, My lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant by the Lord our God. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, sheep, and has invited all the king's sons, Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of the lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, as soon as the lord the king is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals." While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and the king was told, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord, the king, declared that Adonijah shall be king after you, and that he shall sit on your throne? Today he has gone down to sacrifice great numbers of cattle, fat and cats and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abathar the priest. Right now they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live the king. Adonijah, but me your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaniah of Jeho- son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who would sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So then David calls in Bathsheba. He says to her, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I shall surely carry out his, this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And so he takes Solomon, puts him on his own mule, um, has the procession go through um, Gihon there, the Zadok and Nathan anoint him. Uh, so the, the priest and the prophet anoint him king over Israel. They blow the trumpet. Long live King Solomon. Um, so on and so forth. They make him king. Um, they do that in verse 38. And I thought Pastor Greg would like this part. All the people went up after him in verse 40 playing the pipes and rejoicing greatly, so the ground shook with sound. Adonijah and all the guests, verse 41, here's the, here's the fun part. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, what's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, come in, a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, verse 43, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king sent forth, he explains everything that has happened, and what David had said, 
David had actually said, may your God make Solomon's name more famous, or the official said, may your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship in his bed. Verse 49. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death by the sword. Why do they grab the horns of the altar? Any thoughts? The mercy seat's there. The mercy seat's be in the Holy of Holies. Right. But they, but so the altar is outside. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's outside the tent um, in front of the door of the tent of meeting. It says in line as a fugitive refuge. Okay. So why would they grab the horns of the altar? Think practically. Not, not theologically. Here's, here's where we're going to switch our mind from theological. As Pardon? As a weapon? As a weapon? To hide. To hide, maybe? What's it the, won't kill me on the mercy seat. Well, you can't kill somebody there. It would desecrate it. It would desecrate it. The altar is where they offer the sacrifices, and if you pour human blood out there, it desecrates the altar. It's a place of refuge. It's, it's a safety. Holy ground. It's holy ground. It's it's like uh, you know the when when playing tag with your friends and, and you have and you have a, a safe zone. You know the, um, when I used to do it in a gymnasium, the, the the on the basketball court, the center circle was safe, and so when everybody anybody was being chased, they ran to that spot. This is a safe zone. They knew practically that you're, you know, nobody's going to kill me on the altar because it'll desecrate the altar, and it works for Adonijah. So he goes, he hangs on to the altar, and he says, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to, to death with the sword. Question. What did I, how did I do that? First week back, a little rusty after the summer. Hang on a second. Oh, I know why I asked that question. Verse 49, where it says that um, at this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. They took off running. They were, they were afraid of Solomon, and, they went, and, and Adonijah even grabbed hold of the altar. The guests all take off because they don't want to be on the bad side of the king, either the old one or the new one. More than likely, they had no idea that this was that what was going on. They didn't know... You know, it, I think there's a lot of people who didn't know what was going on. It sounds like Solomon knew he had been promised the, the throne. Bathsheba knew she, that he had been promised the throne. Probably the other brothers were told Solomon's going to be the next king. But not a lot of the other people were told about it for whatever reason. You know, we could speculate. We don't know. It doesn't say why. But apparently these other officials, because if they knew that was the, what the succession was going to be, they probably wouldn't have gone along with this. And we know that by as soon as Solomon was, was uh, declared king, everybody split. 
everybody took off. So Solomon, you're going to starting here is you're going to see he's already beginning to show wisdom even before chapter three, where it talks about him asking for wisdom. Chapter three is the is the cool chapter here of the this week's reading. Verse 52, Solomon replied, If he shows himself to be worthy, not a hair of his head will, be, will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. Why didn't he kill him right then and there? I mean, not, not anything to do with the altar. They grab him, they pull him away from the altar, he kills him. Why doesn't he just kill him right then and there? Compassion? Possibly. He's a brother, could be compassion. Except you see it all over the Old Testament, both before and after. There's not a lot of compassion between brothers, yeah. especially when a kingship, when a, when a kingdom is at stake. Yeah. I mean, they just you know, when you read it, they'll just kill everybody off, you know, brothers included. I and mean, it's pretty, pretty brutal stuff. If he didn't want to start his reign with, with murder, you know. yeah, I mean, he might not have wanted to start his reign with murder. He did. He didn't want. It to be a, a bloodbath. Weak. It could be because he was weak. I don't know. <laughs> Interestingly enough, here though, pretty quickly he becomes very strong. He 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 shows signs of weakness, or he shows signs of compassion. But when it comes time to lop heads, he lops heads, and that's what's interesting. I've read this series of passages many times, and especially thinking about leadership. And, and you see this, and I ask all kinds of questions about this. Why does he give mercy to that one and lops the head off the next one? And then why the one that I would show mercy to, he kills, and why the one that I would kill just immediately because the guy just sounds like a jerk, he gives, he gives mercy to. It's just, it is. It's, it's, it's very interesting, and I don't have all those answers yet, but I keep asking those questions because I believe in it, there is a wealth of, of wisdom on how to be a leader. Who to trust, who not to trust. What is a sign of, of distrust? What is a sign of disloyalty? So on and so forth. So he begins to show mercy by allowing his brother to live. 1 Kings 2. 1 Kings 2. He begins to, David begins to tell Solomon some inside stories. I'm sure he's heard the inside stories, but he starts telling Solomon some things that he kind of last, uh, last will and testament kind of things. Verse 1, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to you, to me, if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So, beginning in verse 5, David tells Solomon to sort out his kingdom. Throughout David's reign, there had been all this, there's a collection of people. 
And it's those questions. When, when you look at David, how David dealt with certain people, when it was uh, uh, Abigail's husband, what was his name? Abigail, there's the that was the guy that wouldn't give him any food or a share in the in the you know, in the. I can't remember what the guy's name was. Abigail was the was the his wife, and then after he died, his name Nabor or something. Something like that. No. No. Something like that though. Nabal. Whatever. I think it's Nabal. N-A-B-A-L. Somebody will find it. So when you, when you find it, let me know. But he was going to kill that guy. He was just going to wipe him out. He was ticked. He was going to just... And, and Abigail talked him out of it. She showed wisdom. She acted in wisdom. But he was just furious. He was just going to do this guy in. And then you see this guy, Shimei. And we're going to read about Shimei or Shem, Shimei or... I don't know how to say the name. But you see this guy, and as as David and his in the procession, all of his wives and and the um, his children and all the the court and everybody was 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 trudging out of Jerusalem in shame because uh, Absalom was taking over the throne and doing vile things. Shemai curses David, curses him, and curses him, and throws stuff at him, and you know, and just he, he's just being an absolute jerk. And David takes it. And even when he comes back, he doesn't do anything about it. Shemai is actually kind of, he hangs around the court. Why would David do that? That's never made any sense to me. That would be the guy I'd kill, okay? You know, the, you know I, can, I can see with uh, Abigail's husband, you know, it's his stuff. He doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to give me anything in tribute. You know, him I would have given, I'd have spared. Shemai, I'd have killed him. So, but they, David acts completely opposite but now when we get over to when David's reign is coming to an end he's telling Solomon I got a couple of guys you need to talk to I got a couple of guys you need to sort out some things some unfinished business and so he starts to do that and in verse 5 he's going to have Solomon take care of the touchier problems he had in his kingdom verse 5 now you yourself know that jo- what Joab, and Joab was David's commander of his army. Here's, here's another funny one. David keeps him as a commander for years. He keeps him in the palace. He's, one of the, he's at his table. He eats at the table of the king. He knows what Joab, what Joab did. He acted in treachery. He killed his enemy because remember when the two kingdoms split and and David they were fighting and 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 the and Joab was running away from um, the battle because they were losing and and the other and the brother the younger brother was following behind no no that was see I, now I get the story switched around but he, Joab remember oh so he's the one that called the guy out and acted like a friend and then stabbed him to death David kept him as the as the leader of the army all the way through here, and now he says, um, now you yourself know that what David son of Zerai did to me, what he did to the two commanders, it is the two brothers, of Israel's army, Abner son of Ner and Amasa son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. He did that to, to avenge his brother's death. That's why, that, that's 
So I got the two stories mixed together all in one, and then now they're coming out in two. Um, Shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle, and with that blood he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. So basically, Solomon, you got this guy named Joab, you know what he did to me, you know what he did. Um, you know, it almost sounds kind of like a scene from The Godfather, doesn't it? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I got a, I got a proposition for you. You got Joab. You know what he did. It's time for him to get his own. You can do whatever you want as long as you kill him. <laughs> Interesting. Why did he ever take care of it himself and expects oh, his son to do it? That's the question. That's one of those questions that just nags on me. Why didn't David deal with it himself? That's a great question. I don't know. I want to pose it to you guys. Why didn't David deal with it himself? He's a great king. He was a wise king. Why didn't he deal with Joab? Was he scared of him? I don't know. Could be. Why? Why would he be scared of him? He's a, he's a warrior. He's a, captain. he's a captain of the guard, and the other troops might have, you know, taken him out after, you know, the, the littler ones. You're, you're killing our commander. Who do you think you are? Da da da. You know. But he is the king. Yeah. But he is the king. And he expects Solomon to Too do much it. history with him. And that could be. I mean, that's. I mean, all these could be. I, I don't really know. But that's the one I've. Always, I kind of always come back to this. Is he's a close? He, he was a close friend, and he couldn't take out his close friend. I don't know for sure, but that one kind of makes sense to me. Um, but would he be an enemy to Solomon? He might be. be would he be more favored the other king, the other brother then? Other than, remember, Joab is the one who brought Adonijah to make him king. Right, just now. Yeah. So, yeah. Could, would he side with another brother at some point in time down the road? I don't know. He's done two bad things. It's time to clean house. But you look at it. So here, okay, here's my, I'm not a pastor anymore. I, I'm not trying to defend the word of God. Here, here, here's where I'm starting to push the, bo the buttons. He, he avenged his brother's death. Wrong, yeah, probably, but is it that wrong? They did it all the time back then. They did all kinds of stuff back then, and now David's going to get righteous and 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 call in Joab's blood, making Adonijah king, unless he knew. See, we're not given all the details here, unless he knew that Solomon was supposed to be king, and he saw this as another way to to needle. David, I don't know. See, as, here's where I ask these questions: it, it, whether it's we don't get aren't given enough information to piece the whole story together, or what it is. So that's why I like to dig. He's on his way out, right? He's dying. Yep. And he doesn't. I repent. I don't want to have any more. I want. I don't want to, you know, get the Lord upset with what I what any more things that I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That could have been it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's. You know, 
But I've done enough sin in my life. I don't need to have any more done. Mm. But sometimes. But, but take care of this for yeah. my son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Maybe it's just too much of a coward. <laughs> sometimes. Not a coward, but just it's easier to tell somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. He's but, on his way home. But sometimes when new rulers come about, they bring in their own people. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in your own people, yeah, he was loyal to my dad, but these are my people. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it has to be a big loyalty back here, especially captain of your guard. Mm-hmm. I think that's another big piece of it. Uh, you know, like I say, I don't know what the ultimate answer is. Here. I don't. I don't have the. But David could somewhat keep Joab in line, but he was concerned for Solomon's sake that Joab. Solomon's safety, period. I yeah. mean, he had just been with the other brother. I mean. I, you know, like you're saying, I can control him, but I don't know that you can. He doesn't. He doesn't owe you. He he doesn't have the history with you mm-hmm. that he has with me, where he'll he, he'll respect me, but he's never going to respect you. You're the new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's also wisdom, I think, with what you said earlier too, is that sometimes when a new new ruler comes in, a new leader comes in, mm-hmm. they want to bring their own people in. Mm-hmm. Well, just like a new president, when you come into a new company, you want to make sure your people are all in the role that you trust, you know, mm-hmm. so you can start putting your plans into action so it isn't countered some other way or something. Mm-hmm. But so, the old guy didn't do this. But you see the, you see what I'm saying? It's those questions. It's these questions that pop up and go, why did he do that? Why is he doing this? Why, why is David not dealing with it himself? There's a reason. I don't know exactly what that reason is yet. May not never know exactly why, but I'm, I think we're pulling some of the some of the meat out of it. Um, there's also something to be said for a new ruler coming in and establishing I'm in charge, and I'll give mercy to who I give mercy to, and I will get and I'll get rid of who I get rid of. And um, I, I saw this years ago in a job that I was working. A guy came in. And he just basically started putting fear into everybody. And then he backed off. But at first, he's like, I can fire all of you today if I feel it. I'm just, I might just fire all of you. And you give me a reason to keep you on for six months. You know, in the next, you have six months probation. Everybody here, say you're all my employees, everybody here has got to prove themselves why they need to work here, why they, why they want to work here, and why you deserve to work here. I mean, talk about putting fear into somebody. And, and where did, you know, that person then, will decide, am I going to be loyal or am I not going to be loyal? Back then, they went to the extreme. They didn't fire people, they killed them. <laughs> you know? they, they lo- and you got to kill a couple just to make people know that you'll do it. you got to let people know, I'll do this. I really will. It's just like firing. you got to fire a couple to let them know you're going to do it. That's really it. it. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when, when somebody that you're working with gets fired. You, you know... I, I watched a guy get fired one time, and my, my, my attitude changed. Yes, sir. By golly, I want to keep working here. What is it going to take, sir, to, to keep you happy? So it could be a part of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things to think about. You remember the old, uh, probably, probably not, the old uh, Saturday Night Live? Things that make you go, hmm. Think, yeah, things to ponder. Yes, yeah. things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. Think about this over this week. You know, when it talks about meditating on the Word, 
here's the kind of stuff you should be meditating on. Why is God doing this? Why, why is he saying this is good? Interesting. All right. Deal with them in verse 6. Yeah, verse 7. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Verse 8. And remember you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahromim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Machanayim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in, in blood. Da da da. Okay, I promise. <laughs> but you're not me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ten. Then they, how would you, oh man, I mean, they probably didn't know that this is what he said on his deathbed, but, you know, gracious sakes, if you, you know, you're, if you're, you know, semi, uh, shimai, you know, to hear the king's talking about you, really, what did he say? <laughs> Don't let your head go down to the grave without blood on it, you know, yikes. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father in his room. His rule was firmly established. My question is exactly that question. Why, did David, why didn't David deal with these problems himself? Partly I think they were sticky issues. There, were, there was a lot of underlying stuff that um, doesn't talked about that was probably there. Even this Shimei, the guy who cursed at him, you know, when he came back, after his son Absalom did what he did, and the, and the whole coup, and the and all the the, the, gr- the grossness of what was going on, because what what's, what Absalom did did was horrible. I mean, just beyond horrible. It was it was vile what he did. For David to come back and start killing all the enemies that didn't stand with him, didn't it didn't really add anything. It would have just been more cruelty on top of cruelty. He looked at it as, if I show mercy to this guy, people will go, hey, he's a pretty nice guy. I don't know. They maybe said, you know, there's been enough cute bloodshed. Let's just put it to rest for yeah. now. I'll take care of it later. We'll take care of it later. Solomon, do my your stuff. Exactly. So, 13. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba. Remember, Adonijah is the one who tried to make himself king. And he was the first one that David said, you know what? You keep, I'm sorry, that, that uh, Solomon said... You keep your nose clean, you live. You give me a reason to not trust you, you're dead. Well, Adonijah is not very smart. It says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba asked him, Do you come peacefully? He answered, Yes, peacefully. I wish they'd have more, uh, and, you know, how he actually said it. Oh, of course. You know, kind of the, uh, the uh, what's the kid from... Uh, Eddie yeah, more Eddie Haskell like. Well, of course, Mrs. Mrs. King. Of course, I'm coming peacefully. I have something to say to you. You may say it. She replied. As you know, the kingdom was mine. Not a good way to start out a conversation. You know. By the way, I just want to remind you that I was king for a day during this time, and your son stole it from me. 
All Israel looked to me as the king, but things but things changed, and the kingdom has gone to my brother. For it has come to him. Here's an I highlighted this. For it has come to him from the Lord. If that's the case, if that's really how he felt, why in the world would he push it now? Because he's about to push it. That shows a lack of wisdom. If you know it's from God, then why do you push it? But sometimes people say it's from God, it's really not. Could be. He maybe maybe he was just trying to appease her. Hey, God told me this. You know, mm-hmm. but he really Now I have a request to you to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she, she said. So he continued, Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Very well, Bathsheba replied. I will speak to the king for you. When Bathsheba went to King Solomon, goes on, talks about her coming into his presence. I have a small request from you in verse 20. Make it, my mother, I will not refuse you. 21, let Abishag the Shunammite be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah. King Solomon flies off the handle. I mean, he goes wild. Why do you request Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? You might as well request the kingdom for him. After all, he is my older brother. Yes, for him and for the Abathar, the priest, and Joab, son of Zeruiah. 23, then King Solomon swore by the Lord, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay with his life for this request. And now, as surely as the Lord lives, he who has established me securely on the throne of my father David and has founded a dynasty for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to Adonijah, or gave orders to Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, and he struck down Adonijah, and he died. Why was this request, here's one of my questions, why was this request a threat? Who are these people? I don't remember. Abishag? Abishag was the the virgin, the good-looking virgin who was in the room with David until he died. David never had sex with her. But she was the. She was married to him. Was she? I don't know if they would it would consider it a wife, or more of a concubine. Yeah, concubine. But he never slept with her. Yeah, it's just a maid, like a maid. A maid, but she would sleep with him every night to keep him warm. <laughs> why is that? Huh? <laughs> what is his wife? Yeah, why can't she do it? See, that's. You know, I don't know. That's my question. <laughs> By this point, though, he had a bunch of wives. Right, he had a ton You know, he had uh, right. Saul's daughter. He had... Uh, Was Abigail here? Abigail. He had a couple of other ones. And then he had Bathsheba. So he had a bunch of wives. Younger ones are warmer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was a young, beautiful virgin. You know? Yeah. When, when you, I don't know. When you hear it, you know, it's good to be king. And it snores louder. You know, if you ever watched, did you ever watch, um, oh, what was the movie we watched with the the king, or the, the emperor of China, where they had all those wives... Marco Polo. Have you ever seen the movie Marco Polo? Um, in it, he talks about that every night the emperor had another, a different wife that slept. Every night of his life had a different wife sleep in his bed. And so it wasn't unacceptable. That was the way they did stuff. It was just, you know. And uh, uh, Esther. 
one night with the king. That's all that was. They had hundreds of wives. Kings back then had hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines. Uh, Solomon had over a thousand wives. So it, it, we can't think in the culture of today to explain why they did what they did. You know, it, it just seemed, hey, you're the king. Of course, of course, of course you deserve to have this. Does Solomon inherit all of David's concubines then, or what happened? You wouldn't think so. And maybe that's the point. The things have been taken care of, basically. Oh, remember when? Remember when David left? When when uh, uh, Absalom uh, did the coup and and, Ab- and he left? Remember he slept with all of David's wives that were left back at the palace. There was a whole bunch of concubines that were left back there. So yeah, it culturally. They're wives, but they're not wives, and they and they have a special, probably a special place that they that they hold, but they don't have all the responsibilities. So they got they, they got this new one, this new maid slash wife that did all these things, but by Adonijah asking to have one of his father's wives, bed partners, he didn't say sex partners. But to, to have, to ask for that is asking, because in reality... It's kind of like Reuben. That's <laughs> kind of like Reuben, you know, sleeping with one of Jacob's, you know, and that's why he with lost... Tamar. Yeah, well, no, Reuben, oh, the oldest he, one, sleeping with one of, of Jacob's yes. concubines. I don't know which one, it was Bill or whatever the other one was. But he lost his, you know, the rightful heir of being number one that, mm-hmm. you know, fell down to... Judah, which he's screwed up anyway. But anyway, that, that's not a question. Python wanted to get away with it when the other one did. Yep. So, yeah, there's, you know, is she a queen? Is she one of the queens? Esther was, was one of the concubines. She was considered a queen. So by asking for your, your father's, uh, one of his queens as your wife is a usurpation usurpation of authority. Apparently because Solomon freaks. He goes nuts. I mean he's you know, this is also one of those, I look at this and go you know what? She never slept with him. I mean I, I'm going. I'm using my 20th century, 21st century, my 20th century brain you know, I'm using the way I look at life today and go oh, he never actually slept with her and she's kind of a maid. You know, somebody said she, you know, she's more like a maid What's the big deal? But back then, it was a slam. I mean, it was a, it was a, he was usurping the throne. Uh, if in verse 15, and that's why I highlighted verse, the last part of verse 15, if Jehoiada says, for it has come to him by the Lord, why would he still try to usurp the throne? If he knew that God was putting Absalom in power, it made me go back and think of Saul. Remember when Saul and even Jonathan said, we know, David, you're supposed to be king. Yeah. Solomon said that, or not Solomon, Saul said that uh, after David came down and took the spear and the, and the drinking gourd and the, and the shawl, whatever it was, he took the, took the things, things while Saul, or Saul was sleeping in the middle of the camp. 
David woke him up and Saul goes, David, I know you're supposed to be king, so I'm going to leave you alone now. And I think he did that time. After that one, I think he quit chasing him. But Saul knew it, and yet he still fought against the plan of God. He still, why is that? Why do we do that? You know, do we ever, here's one of my questions, do we ever really know what the plan of God is and we fight against it anyway? I mean, we, we, we would be in good company. A lot of people did it. I mean, it's all the way through the Bible where people know what the plan of God is. You know, I, I mean, I just they keep popping into my brain. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that, uh, Balaam. You know, he knew it was not God's will to, to prophesy against Israel, but he kept looking for ways to do it. He kept saying, well, if, maybe if we do this, God will let me prophesy against him. God stops him. Well, maybe if I do it this way, God will let me prophesy because he wanted the money. He, he wanted the payoff to, to, to curse the Israelites. And finally, God has to, has to, was going to kill him. God had a, 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 an angel with a sword who was going to kill him. And the, the donkey saves his life and talks to him and says, why are you beating me? I'm saving your life. You know. But Balaam was just looking for a way to do exactly what God was telling him not to do. It's human nature. Sadly enough, it's human nature. And when, are, when do we do that? You know, I, I want this story to come back to mind if I ever do, when and if I ever do this. When I, when I go, you know what, I'm going to do it my way, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't even care what God thinks. I mean, how stupid is that? I mean, like, like a, an old, it's not that old, but a, a recent minister of God would say, how, how dumb can you be and still believe? So, but we do it. We see Jehoiada, Jehoiada doing it here. All right. 26. To Abathar the priest, the king said, Go back to your fields in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not put you to death now, because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord before my father David and shared my father's hardships. So Solomon removed Abathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word of the Lord had spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. Abathar is the only one that we see that leaves and doesn't get killed or doesn't show back up and, and get himself in trouble Jehoiada get, gets killed uh, Shemai will end up getting killed uh, Joab he takes care of but Abathar is the only one of all the ones that David spoke, spoke about that heeded the king's warning Solomon's warning and left and didn't get back into trouble now, though, the only problem with that is, turn to 1 Samuel 2. Because I wanted to go back. Because this says, uh, So Solomon removed Abathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word the Lord had spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. 1 Samuel chapter 2 Beginning with verse 27. Debbie, can you read that real quick? Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I 
not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh. I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared, only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. Uh, two more verses. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mine. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before me, my anointed one, always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Okay, so that is the prophecy against Eli's house. And it says here that the, um, that the fulfillment of the word that God spoke to at Shiloh before the house of Eli, Abathar was the last of Eli's house. He was the, he was the last priest to serve in, as the high priest in uh, that line. He was taken out. He was still young. Solomon didn't have to kill him, but more than likely he died uh, from early, an early age, and Uden probably died badly. Which reminded me, when I, like what I was saying this last weekend, that if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he says this is what's going to happen, it will happen. That was said 80 years, 100 years before this actually was fulfilled. At any given point, anything could have changed in a natural succession of life. And you know, not, if God was completely removed from it, you know, somebody could have done something right. And, and you know, it was it was not something that somebody was other than God was standing there going, "I'm going to make sure this word is fulfilled." But God is. God is always watching over His word, and God is always faithful to complete whatever He says. And so. When we hear, when I read this kind of stuff, I look at it and go, see, there's another example that God will do what he says he will do. In this case, it was a curse. Many times it's a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. You know, when, when, the, when the scriptures say that God will bless the nation that blesses Jerusalem, we need to take that at heart. We need to take that as, as not only just a, wow, okay, we should really be nice to Israel. No, we need to take it as the word of the Lord and, and honor that with that same reverence because God will do what he says he'll do. And if it says that he will bless those who bless you, Jerusalem, Israel, house of, house of Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you, 
you know, so when, when you when you hear that that parts of our government is trying to, to trying to, to to go back on our word to Israel, that is scary stuff. When we start to reject, when our government starts to reject Israel, that does not bode well for America. It doesn't. I mean, it's just to me that's that's that is very serious stuff. You know, it's all in the news right now. But in reality, you know, it's one thing to be in the news and oh, you know, and you know they're using it for political fodder. But the truth of it is, is that he will bless those who bless Israel and he will curse those who curse Israel. Okay. God will do what he says he'll do. Twenty-eight. When the news reached Joab, he's he's hearing about each one of these guys getting picked off. Boom, 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 down the thing. When the news reached Joab, who had conspired with Adonijah, though not with Absalom, he fled to the tent of the Lord and of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. He knew he was next. That's not in there, but he knew he was next. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. Then Solomon ordered Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaniah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king, the king says, come out. But he answers, no, I will die here. Benaniah reported to the king, this is how Joab answered. Then the king commanded Benaniah, do as he says, strike him down and bury him. So clear me and my whole family, and goes on to talk about all of that, about how the blood will rest on Joab and not on, on the house of David. So Benaniah, verse 34, went and struck down Joab and killed him. Doesn't say how he did it. Didn't say if he pulled him away from the altar. Obviously, he had to. He wouldn't have just struck him down right at the altar. Um, it would have desecrated the altar. And they wouldn't be able to do sacrifices. So he dealt with it so that the horns of the altar is not the safest place to be when someone is chasing you, when a king is chasing you. Verse 36. Then the king sent for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, but do not go anywhere else. The day you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you can be sure you will die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shimei answered the king, What you say is good. Your servant will do as the Lord the king has said. And Shimei stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. A long time was about three years. Short memory, Shimei leaves Jerusalem. Think he comes back. He comes back thinking, oh, you know, it's just a little thing. It's not a big guy. I came back. It wasn't like I was leaving for good. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. When Solomon was told, verse 41, that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned, the king summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you on the day not to leave to go anywhere else, you can be sure you will die. And so he killed him. And verse 46, the end of verse 46, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. So, so Benaiah or whatever, son of Jehoiada, like a modern day assassin? Sounds like that's it. all he's doing is killing everybody. Whoever the king says, kill him. Sweet job. 
Yes. It's bloodthirsty. When you read the Old Testament, it's just, it is absolutely amazing. You know? It's but, amazing they survived, amazing survived as they did. Exactly. You know, I mean, just brutal stuff. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I compare that to, to that modern day. This, this would never fly in, in modern day society. You know, I mean, talk about insensitive, you know, insensitivity, you know. <laughs> political correctness. Political correctness. I mean, oh it's just... Gosh. You know, I'll show you political correctness. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's politically correct right there. We have our our world has become extremely wimpy. I shouldn't say I should say America, because you go to other parts of the world, it's the way they still live. Yeah. You know, Africa. Have you guys seen machine gun preacher? Mm. <laughs> Just mute the first. 15 minutes in the movie. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not recommending the movie. It's really a lot of swearing. Lot it is, of it's a story about a guy who goes, he's a Christian, becomes a Christian, but he was a, he was a uh, outlaw biker. He was an outlaw biker for most of his life. And the first 15 minutes of, is of him before he met Christ, before he became a Christian. And they don't hold anything back. And this is a Christian movie. It's a true story. Oh yeah, true story. And amazing story. It is an amazing, but he um, he goes to he went he went on a short term mission trip to uh, the Sudan, north North Sudan, or southern, whatever is north of Sudan. He was just north. He was in this country north of it, but in the southern part. But it's where the Uganda. Uganda. I think it is Uganda. It is. He ran. He kept running into the kids that uh, Kony. Tony that's in Sudan, he's the one that's, he's, he, he kidnaps children, turns them into soldiers at eight, nine, ten, yeah, large resistance army. He keeps running into the, to the aftermath of these, of these kids and trying to save them, and he, he ends up deciding that we need to rescue them. And so he leaves armed raids into uh, wherever they, he hears that this large resistance army is, and they, and, you know, the machine gun preacher, I mean, he's He's got a machine gun, and they're blasting people, and you know, and he's he's rescuing these kids out of those situations. Absolutely amazing story, but yeah, I'm not recommending it at all. Because my wife would never let me. Would never let me. Yeah, don't let your kids watch it. We don't let. We have not let our kids watch it. So, but it's it is fascinating. To, I mean, because he's really doing it. I mean, he's, and he's still doing it today. He's I mean, he's still alive, still doing it right now. Oh. He's from Ohio. No, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hillbilly from the hills of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I'd never see the movie on marriage with Muriel Streep. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that was really good. Was that really good? Yeah. About marriage. So, we're actually, we may just get through First and Second Kings in the whole year if we only put two, uh, yeah. two, two chapters per night. Okay. Right. Next yeah, week, three, four, five, and six. Read it yourself. Ask questions. Write those questions down. Put them in the reference. So, chapter 3, verse such and such, I have this question. Write them down so that we share those as we go along. Who wants to pray before the heat over, overcomes us? It's really hot in here. Sorry. <laughs>
Nobody wants to pray. Thank you. Go to Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together here tonight and to hear your word, Father, and to learn more about your ways. And Father, as we ask questions about your word, help you help us you to illuminate your word and ask when we ask the questions to answer the questions for us why you did this so we can become better men and women to follow your path and your way and to learn your ways so we can be successful in following you. Thank you for this day and we thank you for traveling Mercy's home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you next week.